Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Good morning, church. It is so good to see you all. I have enjoyed some time off with the family, but it is good to be back. I missed you. I, uh, they say that uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and I was thinking about that phrase this morning for some reason. I don't know why. I was like, I don't know that I agree with that phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder, because that seems to imply that I like you more when you're not around. <laughs> uh, but I do think there is something in absence where uh, we begin to feel lonely for somebody, and it actually reveals what's already there in the heart. And so it turns out, I like you. Uh, I really missed you, and, and I, hope, I hope you missed me. Well, you can come share that with me if you did. If you don't, don't share that with me. But I did miss you, and it's good just to be here, to see your faces, to hear your voices, uh, so so refreshing for me. More than just uh, time away to rest the body, it's it's a good resetting of the of the heart and the soul for me uh, to be away. And so I'm just really excited to be back with you. We're still in the series "Suffering Saints" uh, this morning, uh, looking at uh, the story of Stephen. Um, not a super well known or um, heavily preached passage, uh, but but it takes up a full chapter and a half in the book of Acts. Um, It's a pretty significant story. I wonder at times why we don't preach this passage more frequently and look at it more frequently. Um, Before we get into it, though, just a couple of things from a high-level view. One is just I want to revisit the way we're defining this idea of suffering and revisit why we're we're spending the better part of two months on the topic of suffering. And so the, the definition that we use from week one to understand what we mean when we say suffering is this. It's the experience of pain, distress, or hardship. And some synonyms for suffering would be anguish, trauma, torment, affliction, misery, and sorrow. Okay, so that's what we mean when we say suffering or use that word. But the reason why we are doing this series, actually multiple reasons, um, Daniel prayed a, a bold prayer a minute ago. He actually prayed that everybody in this room would put their faith in Jesus. Some of you may have walked in today and your faith is already in Jesus, but some of you may be here today and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that today. And one of the reasons that you may be struggling in your faith, struggling to trust Jesus and the Bible and his people might have something to do with hardships and suffering. You've gone through some really hard things or you're going through something really hard and so it's bringing up some really big questions. And so one reason we're going through this series is to look at these biblical characters, these biblical examples, not to hold them up and go, see, you can do better. See, you can be stronger. See, you can have more faith. But we're, we're looking at these stories to go, oh, that's what it looks like to be human. Because whether you're a Christian or not today, you're going through suffering. And you've got big questions around that suffering. Why? Where is God? What is God up to in the midst of this really hard thing? What does his face look like? What's going on in the heart of God when I ask him to take this away and it doesn't go away? And so we've been looking at not only what does it look like to be a human and walk through something really hard, we've been looking at what God is up to in the midst of suffering. Week one, we looked at this, the reason why suffering exists from a super high level. God said to Adam, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. 
if you disobey me, if you engage in sin, if you rebel against me and my rule, my law, this is what will come for you, is death. And we know that Adam and Eve didn't immediately die, but they immediately began to experience suffering. And so we understand suffering really is death a thousand times over before you ever experience physical death. Or you might think of it as death deferred or stretched out over time. And so that is the ultimate source of our suffering. Suffering didn't exist in the world before sin. And then we get underneath that and we begin to realize there are different reasons and sources for suffering. I can suffer um, as a result of my decisions. I can suffer as a result of my bad decisions, my sinful decisions. If I break the law and I go to jail, jail is a place of suffering, and I'm here because of a decision I made. But I can also, as we've seen with Daniel, I can also experience suffering at the result of good decisions, godly decisions, God-honoring decisions. We saw with Job that God is not absent in our, in our suffering as Satan comes to inflict us with suffering, that God is still sovereign and authority over Satan, and God allows suffering. We see suffering underneath this umbrella of sin and death can come from a lot of different angles. And so we're walking through this series together, one, to remind ourselves we're not alone. It is the human experience to suffer, and to discover together, either for the first time or for the hundredth time, what God is up to in the midst of our suffering. Today, as we look at Stephen's example, we just heard the passage, we're looking at an individual who suffered for the sake of his faith. Okay, so decisions he made, it was a good decision, a godly decision, to remain faithful to Jesus, to not recant his faith in Jesus, Therefore, he suffered. But what's different about Stephen's story, maybe the reason why we don't preach it more often, it doesn't end like Daniel's story, right? Daniel stood up for his faith. He got thrown in the lion's den, and God rescued him. It's not going to happen with Stephen. Stephen's going to stand up for his faith and be thrown to the lions, figuratively speaking, and they're going to stone him to death. And another thing that the story of Stephen brings up is we don't always get to see the good that God brings out of our suffering. So not only did God not rescue Stephen from an earthly perspective, he died, he drew his last breath, not getting to see what God would do, if anything, with his suffering and the giving of his life for his faith in Jesus. We'll start for second some background who was Stephen why don't we know more about him he shows up in Acts 6 and by the end of Acts 7 he's dead so it happens at this point in the story of the church as the church is launched in Acts 2 and it's in Jerusalem it's expanding thousands are coming to know Jesus uh, persecution is beginning to rise from the religious leaders who are trying to stamp out this sect or this following of Jesus that was referred to as the way. And by the time we get to Acts 6, so just like four chapters later, the church has grown so much that the apostles are overwhelmed. Like they're trying to like preach faithfully, pray for the sick, feed the hungry, the poor, and the widows. And by the time we get to Acts 6 and 
kind of good old-fashioned church way, uh, there's some dissension that kind of shows up. People in the church are mad at each other. And what's happening is that those who um, were from a Greek tradition or a Hellenistic tradition felt like their widows were being overlooked for the sake of the Jewish widows. Okay, and so they brought this to the apostles' attention. They're like, and it doesn't really seem like they validate or invalidate. They're like, hey, here's the thing. We're just overwhelmed. There's a good chance we're missing some people. But our primary, primary calling is to preach the word and to prayer. So we've got to select some help. We've got to entrust the feeding of widows to, right, to some faithful servants of Jesus. And so they decide to choose seven, which seem to be kind of the emergence of the role of the deacon in the church, an official role of a servant, right? It's not enough just to show up with a pulse. It's somebody who is, right, displaying godly character, which we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3, a description of that. But at this point in time, we don't have 1 Timothy 3. We don't know what we're looking for. So the apostles are going to look for somebody they can trust who's full of faith, who's displayed the evidence of the Holy Spirit. They can entrust some of these things to so they can get back to the preaching of the word. And here's the description of this Stephen was one of the seven. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And this is how we're introduced to Stephen. Okay, so he was chosen to help relieve some of the workload in the church, help resolve a conflict, and he was known by these apostles as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 is really where we're going to start now. Verse 7 says that after these, so after these seven were chosen, they laid their hands on them, prayed, and sent them out to start doing the work of ministry, take care of the widows. Verse 7 says, here's what happened. Here's the status of the church. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. So now, it's not just the commoners, actually religious leaders, presumably from the Jewish tradition, are now becoming believers and followers of Jesus. So the picture is being painted as the church is blowing up in Jerusalem. Okay? And as they chose these seven and released them into ministry, it just continued to increase, continued to, to grow. We're going to take a, a step back now and kind of look at the big picture of what God is up to here in this chapter in the book of Acts so that we can better connect Stephen's story even to our own story. So really what's happening here in the book of Acts is it goes all the way back. We could go back to Genesis 3. We'll go back to Genesis 12. So if you're flipping in your Bible, like we're going all the way back to the beginning, to chapter 12, where God speaks a promise to a guy named Abraham or Abram. You may be familiar with the story, but in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we, we, we kind of step into a conversation between God and Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Sounds like an invitation into an adventure. Pack up your things, Abram. We're getting ready to go somewhere. Verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Now, this is a big deal. Abram doesn't have any children. His wife's barren. So not only am I going to give you a big family, that family is going to become a great nation. Your name is going to be well known, Abram. 
And I'm going to bless you so that, why? So that you might bless others. And then verse 3 will connect us to the book of Acts. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you, this is like the big promise of the Bible, in you, through you, in your descendants, in this great nation, through your great name, in you, all the families or nations or ethnicities of the earth shall be blessed. We don't have a lot of time to define blessed today. It's been defined a lot of different ways over the course of church history. But let's just say this, it doesn't mean the absence of suffering. A lot of men and women are going to come after this promise, faithful followers of God who are still going to suffer, yet are underneath this blessing, this blessing of the nations. And what Paul is going to say in Galatians chapter 3 is that God was preaching the gospel beforehand in verse 3 of Genesis. All the way back then, God was preaching the gospel that in you the nations shall be blessed. We fast forward in time, okay? The story of Israel unfolds through your Old Testament. After this series is over, we're actually going to um, walk through the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi together. Okay, as that story unfolds, and we get all the way to Malachi, then there's this kind of like season of silence, it seems like. And God isn't saying much. It doesn't seem like he's doing much. And then Jesus is born. Book of Matthew. And we get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at the end of the Gospels is where Jesus resurrects from the grave. He overcomes sin and death. And he gives the disciples this mission, this commission to go out and do something. Matthew 28 records it this way. Starting in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, this is after the resurrection, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All authority. Now here's what I want you to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all what? Nations. That is directly connected to Genesis 12, 3, the blessing of the nations. Now you guys go make it happen. What God promised to Abraham is gonna be fulfilled through you. Go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, one of the marks that this mission is being fulfilled in the world is you'll see, it, you'll see people getting baptized. Not the only mark, the only evidence, but that'll be one of the marks. I was thinking about just a couple weeks ago, we had one of our members, a father, Thomas, baptizing his daughter, Emily. And that baptism is intimately connected to everything we've talked about so far. Go make disciples of the nations. Teach them and baptize them. What I'm doing with you right now is the carrying forward of that mission. Every person who steps into, into baptism is carrying forward that mission. And so this now sets us up for the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is there. He's with his disciples. There's 11. Judas has bailed, hung himself. They're getting ready to select a replacement. 
And before Jesus departs and ascends back to heaven, he gives them these final instructions, okay? And I want you to think about where we left off with the story of Stephen, what's happening. The seven have been chosen. The word is increasing. The church is growing. Where? In Jerusalem. It's blowing up. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, these final instructions from Jesus to the 11, you will receive power. Power to do what? Make disciples of the nations. Why? That God might bless the nations through Abraham. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Stop. That's happening now. You see that? Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 6. The church in Jerusalem is blowing up. These apostles are witnesses in Jerusalem, but not only Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. Until when? Until it reaches the end of the earth. Remember the promise to Abraham? In you, all nations, all people groups, all ethnicities, all races, all colors of skin, all languages, all tribes. We bless through you, Abraham. Whatever I do through you is going to be a blessing to everyone. And here Jesus is saying, all right, guys, that's going to be fulfilled through you. Go. Start where? In Jerusalem. So up to this point in the story of the church, the mission hasn't left Jerusalem. And it's getting overwhelming. The apostles are like, we need some help. Let's recruit some help. Find seven guys we can trust. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen is one of them. Now, before we leave chapter 6, Stephen's already in trouble. We'll pick this back up now in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia, hold on to that one, that's going to be important, and Asia, rose up and began to do what? Disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. It's another beautiful description of this man, Stephen, and God's powerful work in him and through him. But what's interesting here is we're already beginning to see the evidence of Saul. This um, council or synagogue of the freedmen, we don't know a lot about them, but the, the title would suggest that these were a group of spiritual leaders, religious leaders, who once had been in slavery or in bondage, and they're from different places, but now they've been free, and so they refer to themselves as the freedmen. But one of the places where uh, these guys came from was um, Cilicia, which is, by the way, where Saul was from. And we know Saul's about to show up in a story that he was there at um, this, this death sentencing for Stephen. So Saul's already actively involved in what's happening here. What's interesting is what Saul, who will become Paul, will say about this moment, about, I don't know, 18 chapters later in the book of Acts. So we won't get the story today, but Saul will get radically transformed by Jesus and he will go by Paul. 
God will do wonderful things through Paul, and he'll go on missionary journeys and take the gospel all over Eastern Europe, Mediterranean area. But in Acts 22, getting close to the end of the book of Acts, uh, Paul is arrested uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. And in verse 20, he says this, When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So, among those people disputing with Stephen and putting him on trial and sentencing him to death is Saul. He was there. Let's pick this back up in verse 11. Well, when that didn't work, turns out you can't out-argue the Holy Spirit, who's working powerfully in Stephen. They did the same thing to Stephen they did to Jesus. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. It's interesting that one of the, the ways that Christians were persecuted in the early church is through the means of gossip. We won't spend a lot of time there today just throwing that out there. Stirring up rumors and lies and spreading hateful things against one another. Do with that what you will. That's what they do. They start spreading rumors. And they get the people all stirred up. Next thing you know, people are just believing. Well, it must be true. The religious leaders said it. This Stephen must be a blasphemer. Let's, let's arrest him. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him. They seized him, and they brought him before the council. And they set up f- false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, but we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Very similar to the accusations against Jesus himself. This man said he was going to tear the temple down, destroy it in three days and rebuild it. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now here's what's going to happen for the next 53 verses. Stephen is going to preach one of the most comprehensive, powerful, beautiful sermons you'll find in the Bible. One of the most comprehensive sermons you'll find in the New Testament. This, remember, this is, we need somebody to wait tables. We need a deacon, somebody to serve, help relieve the pressure so we can get to the really important ministry and Stephen steps up. And so for 53 verses in chapter 7, he's preaching. He's covering the Old Testament. He's pointing to who God is. He's pointing to who his accusers are. And as it turns out, they don't appreciate it. It doesn't win their hearts. They don't turn towards Stephen or towards Jesus in repentance. But instead, it stirs up more hatred and anger and violence. And if you think about just the, 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 the thermostat on suffering for Stephen, it doesn't go down, it actually goes up. Let's go ahead and read what happens and then let's stop and talk about it. Remember, keeping in mind, we're wanting to know what is God up to when we suffer. Verse 54, 
after the sermon, says, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, again, I'm gonna stop there. We aren't putting biblical characters up in front and saying, be more like them. You see how this isn't about Stephen? This is actually about the power of the Holy Spirit in a guy whose name is Stephen. It's like the third reference to who's actually the one working here in him. Now, if he were to walk in the room today, I'd give him a big hug and high five and say, dude, man, like props. I don't know if I could do what you did. However, the real glory, the real credit is being given to whom? God. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. As the thermostat for suffering is turning up, at the same time, the heavens are opening up for him. The glory of God is radiating on Stephen. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. That was his payoff. That was his reward. That was his lion's den moment. They stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Breathed his last. He died. Now we can see already the glory of God in Stephen's suffering. We said earlier on, Stephen was one of those who lost his life in a really painful, vicious way. He didn't necessarily get, he didn't get rescued, and he certainly didn't get to live long enough to see what God might do, what God might be up to in the midst of his suffering. Verse one of Acts eight, and this is where Stephen's story really gets powerful. I remember up until this point, this, this huge mission of the church is still in Jerusalem. What God told the disciples through Jesus in Matthew 28 hasn't happened yet. They haven't made disciples of the nations. They made disciples in Jerusalem. What God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 hasn't happened yet. Most of the inhabitants of Jerusalem are descendants of Abraham. So this is still Abraham's family being blessed. And yet has had to happen this moment where the nations will be blessed. And so in verse one, 
Saul. And Saul approved of his execution. And there rose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. If we pause the story right here, you look at Stephen's death and you go, what did he die for? It didn't, doesn't seem to have gained him much. Now it's affecting the church. The church is now being persecuted more, not less, for his faithfulness. Continuing in verse 1 of Acts 8, and they were all scattered, running for their lives throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, verse 4, those who were scattered went about doing what? Preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, it's a whole lot easier to see in hindsight. Can Stephen see this from his eternal perspective right now? I don't know. It'd be great if he could. I don't know. But we can see it. We can clearly see that what God was up to in Genesis 12 with Abraham, he's still up to in Acts chapter 8. And the stoning of Stephen is not a wasted moment in church history. We go, man, what a waste. What great things Stephen could have done for the kingdom. I mean, he was just barely getting started. Imagine if they'd have given him a church and he preached like this week after week, what could have happened for the kingdom? And yet what happens from here is actually even bigger than that. <coughs> Just three chapters later, Peter is given a report to the church in Jerusalem, and here's what he says. This is Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, in a lot of ways, this sermon series we're doing is somewhat anti-prosperity gospel. Right? Because prosperity gospel would say, a, if you're going through suffering, it's because you don't have enough faith. And if that's not the reason, it's just because you, right, you've, made some, you've made some errors. You're out of God's favor. You've sinned or you've rebelled. Your heart's hard. And so either you don't have enough faith and or you're, you've lost the Lord's favor. Does any of that land on Stephen? Do you see his faith being turned down as the persecution arises? No. You talk about faithful. Like I read this story and I feel like B-team JV. 
I read stories like this and stories like Daniel. I go, I don't know that I could be so courageous. Like, I, I feel small compared to these men. It seemed like Stephen has lost the Lord's favor, not at all. And why is that important? Why am I bringing that up? Because you too are human and you too suffer. You too live under the sin or the curse of sin and death. You too ask the big questions. God, what are you up to? Where are you at? Why me? God is still up to the same thing he was up to in Acts chapter 6 and 7 and Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 3. The young girl who was baptized here just a few weeks ago is in the lineage of Stephen. It was through his death, his martyrdom, his sacrifice, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that the church began to spread and leave Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Church, this building is, is, is at the ends of the earth. This is a different continent. The gospel came across the ocean, floating on a ship in the hearts of men and women and found its way to our shores. And hundreds of years ago, the gospel began to spread in North America even in Texas, Fort Worth, Salt Rock Church. We look at the big picture of what God is up to and we look at Stephen's martyrdom. We begin to see clearly what God is up to. We look at stories like Job, we look at stories of Daniel, Joseph. Look at your story and we see God doesn't waste our suffering. Have you ever thought about that? God does not waste your suffering. So what is God up to in your suffering? Some bullet points. God uses our suffering for his glory. He's completely just in doing so. We didn't even look at the content of Stephen's sermon. We just looked at what he said afterwards and what he did with his life. And his life is just this radiant beacon of glory he's calling he's calling all of his look at the glory of God God uses our suffering to accomplish his will on earth next week we'll begin to look at how God uses suffering for our good and the good of others but I want to just speak to that for a moment if I could so I just gave you four different bullet points. God uses suffering for his glory. God uses suffering to accomplish his will on earth. God uses his suffering for our good, and God will use suffering for the good of others. We see that in Stephen's story. He's using Stephen's suffering for your good today, like right now. Oftentimes in the church, when I speak with somebody who's going through something really hard, suffering of some sort, hardship, it seems to be the go-to answer that I'm going through this so that God can bless others. Now, if that's the only conclusion you come to, you're missing it. Because that point alone somehow suggests that the life of the person being blessed is more significant and important than you. You're just here to be used as a doormat so that others can benefit. So to understand what God is up to, it's so much bigger than that. 
He's glorifying himself. He's accomplishing his will here on earth. And he's even up to something in your life. Using your suffering for your good first before blessing others. Again, we'll unpack that more next week. What I want to do now is I want to land with just some questions for reflection. And we do this almost every time we, we preach here on Sunday and for a couple of reasons. One, we want to make sure we have application. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Now what do I do with it? It's important. But, but second of all, and, and really kind of closely connected to that, is we believe as a church that when we open God's word and we read it, he speaks. And we believe that when we gather as his people, the church, he's always doing something in us. And so another way might be just to start our services by saying, hey, if God were going to do something in your life today, what might that be? What, what might God be up to in your life today? What change or transformation or healing would he want to bring to your, your life? So we ask these questions to really get us thinking about, okay, now what is God speaking to me? And what would it look like this week if I go out and live out of what God is speaking to me? So I'm going to begin with the first question is this. How can Stephen's example of suffering, how does it, how can it, how could it, inspire you to perseverance in the face of challenges or opposition that you may encounter in your own life? You're not being drug out of your homes right now and being brought before a religious council and being sentenced to death. But if you're living out your faith in your workplace, in the world around you, you're going to come up against opposition. So what do you see in Stephen's story that you could apply to your life? Second question is this, is how can you, looking back at this example of what Stephen said at the end, and we didn't spend a lot of time here, did you recognize what he said? Father, forgive them. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, forgive them. How can you cultivate a spirit of forgiveness in your life even when facing difficult circumstances or unjust treatment? So Stephen wasn't like making excuses for them or justifying their actions. Like the fact that he said forgive them, he's recognizing they're doing something unjust to me. So once I see that, I can say, now, God, will you forgive them for what they're doing? How can you cultivate that spirit of forgiveness in your life, even when facing difficult circumstances or unjust treatment? This is different from sweeping things under the rug, okay? This is looking at sin against you or pain against you or persecution against you in the eye and saying, I forgive Next question is this. How can you stay steadfast in your faith and continue to live out your calling even when facing adversity? What is Stephen drawing from here? Somebody say it out loud. 
Holy Spirit. You look at this example and go, man, I wish I could do that. Okay, you can't pull it off without the Holy Spirit. An active relationship with God and His Spirit in you. And then lastly is this, what steps can you take this week to invite the Holy Spirit to empower and guide you as you face challenges and or opposition? So what could you do this week then to cultivate that, to be more empowered by this same Holy Spirit? What steps could you take this week? If any of these questions bring up more questions, um, one of our pastors would love to speak with you today. If anything that I've gone over today or that God has spoken to you through his word has stirred something in you and you want prayer, I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to be available in front of the room, both sides. They'd be honored to pray with you about anything that's churning or stirring in you. Um, If you've got questions about the church or about God or anything really and you want answers, I'd encourage you to grab one of our elders. Um, We ask our elders to wear lanyards. I have mine in my pocket. Um, So it'll be somebody wearing something that looks like this. Um, out in the commons there. You can grab, even if they look like a complete stranger, I promise they're harmless. They won't bite you. Um, Sweet, sweet men of God would be honored just to visit with you and and answer questions you have and even pray with you if you've got something going on. So I'm going to pray over us now and ask our worship team to come back out and just lead us in a time of response. Feel free to stand, sing, pray, grab a prayer partner, go out and grab a prayer room, whatever God's speaking to you. I encourage you to do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. Um, Father, we Just say it this way, Father. Things don't always turn out the way we want them to. I'm sure that if we were to go back and interview Stephen and ask him what he would have wanted here, he would have loved to continue to live and live for you and preach more sermons and see the church grow and maybe even become a missionary or serve in other ways. And and yet, that's not how it turns out. God, our stories don't always turn out the way we want them to either. But God, what we're learning through this series is, God, how you use suffering for your glory and our good. So Father, I'm praying over every soul in this room, every soul listening online. God, your Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Stephen would empower each one of us here and now. God, whatever you were up to in Stephen, you would be up to in us. That our lives more and more could become these beautiful, radiant beacons for your glory. Father, I know there's... With that comes pain and anguish and so God we also know that you've called the church to be a place of rest and healing so God maybe somebody here today is walking through or experienced something God and the wounds are still open and would you give that person the courage to approach an elder or prayer partner God and allow us as the church to be that just that conduit of healing So now we turn this time over to you. Holy Spirit, would you do in us what you did in Stephen? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.